We are continuing uh, in this series, learning from, Je- from Jesus directly, uh, his teaching in the gospels, for the most part, uh, words that Jesus actually said. Um, and uh, before we get to our text this morning, uh, just kind of working our way there, uh, I do wanna say, uh, of course, if you're, if you're new or you're just visiting us this morning, uh, then, then you may not know uh, that uh, we're in a, a really interesting season here in the life of our church. Uh, seven years ago, about, uh, a little more than seven years ago, the Lord uh, uh, called me to uh, just kind of lead out in an effort to see a church planted in this area. And... Um, and so uh, my family and I obeyed that calling, that conviction, gathered some friends together, some of whom are still here in the room, and, uh, which proves that it was God and not me, because if it was me, they would have left a long time ago. Um, and, and here we are, by his grace, uh, still pressing forward, uh, seeking to see Christ exalted in everything, not just in our own hearts and our own communities, but uh, all over the world. Um, and, and that's why often even this morning we'll have friends from overseas visiting us because it's just our heart just to see Christ exalted in everything. Um, but here now at, at this point, uh, the Lord has now again put something in my heart in, and in Jenny's heart to uh, go and live among unreached people and, uh, and take the gospel to them. And that's why we've been making a lot of preparations and there's been a lot of talk and announcements and, uh, and work put in to see my family sent by you all to Thailand. Um, and, and we've been working to see who's gonna kind of come on the pastoral staff and take uh, this position that I've had for the last seven years. And we told you last week that we believe the Lord has led us to. We think we've discerned from the Lord, from his spirit, who that should be. Uh, his name is Hans. Uh, he's just a, an awesome, faithful guy that we've gotten to know over the last several months and, uh, and are continuing to get to know and, and go through this elder kind of testing training process that we do with all of our elder candidates uh, and working out uh, what the Lord would uh, have us do in order to get him here. He's been living in Baton Rouge, ministering there for the last nine years, although he is from Tomball. Um, if you're okay with that, he's from Tomball. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, oh gosh, what have you done to us? Uh, so uh, so all, as all these things have been happening, as, as myself and my family have been preparing to go and all of those, making all those arrangements, um, and as we've been preparing to uh, see the Lord continue to do ministry here, as we know he's planning on doing and will be faithful to do, um, it's just created a really interesting season uh, for my family and for me personally. And I know for all of you, there's new things we're having to think about and trust God for, uh, and that's all really good. But one aspect of this season is that uh, coming to the end of my time here, particularly as an elder here and as a teaching elder, um, is that I kind of have this feeling like that old guy who's just dumped his filter 
a few years ago, and he just feels so free, just so free. Uh, some of you guys know that, that old guy. Uh, he just feels so free, either in or out of the spirit, I don't know. Um, but, but he's going to tell you what he thinks. You know this old guy, don't you? He's going to, t- maybe you are that old guy. He's gonna tell you what he thinks, all right? Now, I want to be, of course, the, the loving old guy with no filter, not the angry old guy with no filter. Like, if you kick your ball into my yard, I'll, I'll let you have it back, okay? But this season being so unique for me has, I, I wouldn't even know how to explain to you exactly how that's worked for me spiritually, mentally, but I feel so much eagerness. I feel, um, I feel like I can identify maybe for the first time when Paul said, not that I'm like Paul at all, but when he said that on top of everything he had been going through, he had this anxiety for all of the churches that he had helped establish. And now here, I'm just, I'm here with you guys, but I feel this sense of anxiety that I don't think is unholy. It's just a real passion and an eagerness for you. Um, I feel that, an, an urgency, um, and almost like, you know, what, if you were on your, de- known announcements, I'm not dying, but if you were on your deathbed and your family's gathered around and you just had like a few minutes to tell them the things that you feel are most important for them, what would you say? You know, and I kind of feel that I'm in that season with you all and, and I'm grateful for it. I'm really, there's all the sadness and you know, we've been through all that stuff about um, eventually parting ways whenever the Lord brings that time. But nevertheless, here I am. And, and I have this feeling, and, and I'm thankful for it, and here's why. Um, I, I've never been in this position, I may never be in this position again, planting a church, uh, now being sent by that church, um, all the decisions that have to be made, the new prayers that I'm praying, all the trials my family has faced since we decided that the Lord was calling us to do this and we decided we were going to obey that calling. Every, everything that we've been through, um, in particular, it has caused, I think, in me to see with greater sharpness. Does that make sense? I've, I feel like there's, I still have all the same problems Uh, the same weaknesses, Um, I still struggle in the same ways, the same kinds of things still. I'm not a radically just different person all of a sudden, Um, but I I feel like I'm seeing with more sharpness. Uh, Like watching something and all of a sudden the resolution increases, if that makes any sense. Like, have you, have you guys in the last 10 years or so ever been in a place where there was an old school tube TV with the like inch thick curved glass, you know, there's the square box of glass, not flat screen. It's like this, like it's a whole piece of furniture 
Have you in the last 10 years or so been somewhere, like maybe some friend who's really down and out or something, I don't know why anyone would own one still, but, uh, or like in a restaurant, like sometimes in a restaurant they'll have one that's been sitting up in the corner for like 25 years, it's got three inches of dust on top. When you're watching that, you, and all of a sudden you realize how horrible the resolution is, and we were all, maybe, well, some of y'all in the room don't even know what I'm talking about right now. But if you have any idea what VHS means, <laughs> or if I say pop in a cassette, you're like, oh, a cassette. Then you know what I'm talking about with the square box, okay? And how horrible the resolution was. Like if you tried to watch a football game on it and it's just like red blobs versus blue blobs, you know? And you don't even know who's playing quarterback until they do like an extreme close up and you can see the face or even the numbers on their back. I feel like lately that I, I like went from that kind of square glass, low resolution box to now more recently, it's like some things are coming into like high definition. And I'm really grateful again for that. And, and I hope, um, you know, this, this picture quality becoming more clear and my opportunity to try to communicate that to you, just trying to depend on the Lord um, for that. I, I hope um, that it's by God's grace and it's for your good um, to help th maybe some things become more clear for you as well. Um, that kind of clarity, may, maybe the Lord's brought you through a season. Um, it, just journey with me here. I promise I'm gonna to get to the Bible. Um, maybe the Lord's put you through something at some point in your life where you kind of realized how murky and dim you were seeing because now the resolution has become clear. You didn't even know it at the time. You know what I'm saying? When we were all back in the 80s watching those tube TVs, we didn't know it was bad. We were just watching. And now we see that and we're like, how do we even know what was happening? And maybe the Lord's brought you through some trials, some seasons, just some, some periods of extreme grace, you know, peculiar grace, where you, your, your resolution has clarified, increased, and, and that's, maybe that's where I'm at right now. And I hope that um, that what we're doing right now and this, this kind of final chance, this final season I have to communicate with you in this way is good for you, is a grace from God for you. So at this point in my life, God's allowing me to see the Bible giving these very simple, very clarifying answers, sharpening answers, resolution increasing answers about what it means to follow Christ, about my own weaknesses, my own sinfulness, Christ's worthiness to be worshiped, trusted, followed, obeyed, and, and how the Bible calls us to live in light of all these things. So this morning, I'm gonna ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 13 and start at verse 44. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. Jesus, of course, had a three-year period where he was publicly teaching, 
doing mighty works of God, miracles, signs, wonders, teaching parables, uh, teaching a, a particular group of disciples about what it meant to love God, to, uh, to see God in Christ and to know that Christ is God, uh, to understand his teaching, his way of life, uh, his own heart, and to walk in those things that he was establishing. He had a three-year period um, to manifest for them the fullness of God and the truth of God and he made some statements that uh, I'm realizing at this point in my life are just much, the kind of simplifying that happens where the complications around the edges that you've been so concerned with, you just realize they don't really affect the conclusion. Do you know what I'm saying? When you can be so preoccupied with the margins that you forget just how simple the real meat of the issue is, when those things are cleared away, Jesus says things that just kind of clears away the margins, those peripheral concerns, and gets you just zeroed in on some things that are very clarifying. He does that a lot in his teaching, and here I think he says something in verses 44 and 45 of Matthew chapter 13 that serve that purpose, and I hope uh, that this morning they will really powerfully serve that purpose. So here we go, let's read. This is Jesus talking. Uh, I'll, I'll read this out loud if you wanna follow along and then let's just stop and pray for some help from the Holy Spirit. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father, please glorify your name this morning here in our fellowship. In this time that, that we have set aside, that you have set aside for us to gather in Jesus' name and seek you and learn from you, Lord, please glorify your name in us. Please glorify your name through us. Lord, please have your way in each of our hearts. And, and I pray that, Lord, meaning every word, that, that each person who's here in this room right now would be powerfully affected by you this morning. Please help us to avoid just tradition and ritual. Please help us to avoid just a trip to church to just come and do what we thought we would do. Lord, please, will you do unexpected, powerful, surprising, life-changing, eternity-affecting things in our hearts this morning. 
so that we could know with confidence that you are continuing a good work in us to make us more like Christ, that we would be more like him, think more like him, live more like him, believe more deeply and more joyfully than when we came into this place. We do understand, Lord, that we are people with great weakness. We are people with great need and we're trusting entirely in your Holy Spirit to work in us, to work among us, to do the things that we're asking for, that we're yearning for. So Holy Spirit, we call on you. We, in, in, our, in our way, you know, as much as it matters, Lord, we invite you, call on you, plead with you. Please don't leave us alone here. Please don't let us keep up defenses. Please don't let us remain in our foolishness bound by sin and limitation. Please, Spirit, overcome this morning for the purposes of this mighty work that we believe you want to do. Please wield the word, not, not my opinions, Lord, but please your own word, your own truth, let it be. Let it be a sword this morning and a balm. We love you, God. Trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, I wanna ask you if you can imagine with me what is in the heart of a person who behaves in this way that Jesus is describing? What, what takes control of a person? What are the thoughts, what are the beliefs, what are the feelings that would drive a person to do such a thing? That you would come upon something, either you're the person who kind of stumbles upon this treasure hidden in a field that someone had buried long ago there were no banks in first century Israel, so people routinely would literally bury things of value, okay? Now, maybe someone had buried something here in this parable and, and then died and hadn't told anybody where it was, and so there it was. Whether you stumbled upon this thing of great value or you were in search for it, like this merchant searching for fine pearls, what is it that possesses a person that when they find this thing, they would abandon everything else they own in order to possess this thing. What is it that comes over a person? Please imagine with me. Place yourself here in the parable. 
And imagine what it was that would have to come over a person in order to do such a thing. There are some things you have to believe in order to do this, like just logically. So if this person has a certain degree of wealth or possessions or whatever, Jesus doesn't specify that he's like wealthy or whether or not he's poor or whatever, but we know he had some possessions in Jesus's mind as he was telling this parable. It was, a, it was somebody who had something. There's something you have to believe about the hidden treasure that you came upon or about this fine pearl that you found. There's something you have to believe about the value of that thing versus the value of everything else you own. Logically speaking, you believe this one treasure or pearl to be of more value than everything else you own. Everything. The entire compilation of everything you own is not worth this one thing. And, and it's based on that belief, that ascribing of greater value that you make the decision to sell all that you have and buy this one thing. You have to, in your own heart, genuinely ascribe greater value to the one thing, right? That's just logical. Because nobody sells everything they have to buy something that's not worth as much as what they had before. Nobody does that. And this is what Jesus is driving at. This is what he's getting at here. There is something that is of greater value than everything else all of us together own. If we were to just gather all of our worldly possessions, every dollar, every cent, everything, put it all together, there is one thing that is worth more than all of it. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like. God's kingdom is of more value than everything added together. Everything. Now please don't in your mind make exceptions. That really is meant to be an absolute statement with, with no exceptions, no categories to the side that, well, of course we don't mean that. Everything added together, not worth as much as the kingdom of God. Now, I understand that that is, well, maybe not for you. Uh, around here, I understand that that's familiar language. That's, that's a familiar kind of topic God's worthiness, uh, God's, God's value, the value of knowing Christ and having Christ, loving Christ, is, I, under, I understand that's a bit familiar. The danger with familiar things is that they're easier to dismiss. I, I want to invite you to again consider this as a fresh truth in your ears. Don't take my word for it. Listen to Jesus saying this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, 
goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the, the inference is there is that he would be able to possess the treasure in the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, there were a lot of other maybe pearls of lesser value, but when he came across this one, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I want to again invite you to consider the worthiness, the transcendent value of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, above and beyond all other things. Everything else you own, everything else you've worked for, so that if you were given the the option, if God were to appear to you in a vision and say, look, You can either have everything you have or you can have my kingdom. Which do you want? That according to Jesus, the obvious, clear choice in terms of value is to trade everything you have so that the only thing you own is the kingdom of heaven. That if you own nothing else in this world, just the kingdom, then you have everything. Just please consider that with me afresh this morning, just for a moment. If you would please, in your mind, imagine all of your possessions. Think of your bank account, which is maybe for some of you super discouraging. You're like, uh, either the kingdom of heaven or negative $3, (laughs) which is gonna be 33 by Monday, right? Overdraft fee. Imagine with me, please, all of your possessions, wherever you live and whatever your home is filled with, your bank account and however much money is in it, your, your vehicle that you drove here in, all the clothes you're wearing. Imagine everything you own and just for a moment consider the worthiness, the, the value of God's kingdom above all of it. The person who sells everything he has to buy one thing so that that one thing is his only remaining possession. He has to believe that he will be more satisfied in that one thing than everything else he had. Right? Get into the, the heart of the person that Jesus is describing here. It is about value, but it's about more than just value because it was in his joy that he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. There's not just, there's not just value, this kind of lateral exchange. This is about something that was more satisfying than another thing. Satisfaction. The kingdom of heaven is more satisfying than everything else we own altogether. So, you don't miss everything else you had when you get the one thing. 
You don't, you don't just say, uh, okay, I'll trade this for that because I understand the value. You don't even, you're so overjoyed, you're so satisfied in possessing this one thing that everything else you gave up for it, you don't even miss. Do you see how much deeper that runs than just a trade, than just a kind of a, an intellectual pursuit of value? You don't even miss it. You're glad that it's gone. You're relieved that it's gone. And that the one thing you now possess is the kingdom. To him, everything else is worth nothing in comparison to this one thing that he has gained. Now I'm telling you what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, about how satisfying it is to be a citizen of it, enjoying God's grace in it, living for his glory, being a citizen of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus says. In order to truly agree with Jesus in our own hearts, because that's just, I mean, it's on paper, right? There's no denying Jesus said these things. I'm telling you what he says. You, maybe you've heard it before, so you go, okay, I know Jesus said that. Now, in order for us to do more than just agree that Jesus said that, but to agree with Jesus, that's where we want to get this morning, right? To agree with him that to lose everything and gain just the kingdom is an altogether transcendently more satisfying thing to hang on to everything we had. And Jesus doesn't present a scenario here where you can receive the kingdom and still hang on to everything you had. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is like that. He says it's like a person who found it and gave up everything in order to gain it. Not a person who had all this and then gained that in addition. But he says, no, it's, it's one or the other. The cost of gaining the kingdom is abandoning everything else. Now, in order for us to agree with Jesus, you feel that, right? Not just that he said it, but to agree with the truth of what he said, that it's not just worth it, it's like satisfyingly worth it. In order to truly agree with Jesus in our hearts about the value of the kingdom, the satisfaction of the kingdom above and beyond everything else, that it is worth it to lose everything and gain God, that in fact we must abandon all other hopes, all other sources of security, put faith in nothing else, seek fulfillment in no other thing or person in order to agree with Jesus about these things, not just as a point of theology, although it is that and a good one, but as a principle to live by, we must trust in the Spirit to lead us into this truth. To lead us into this truth. There's, there's a way of coming to the Lord or seeking to grow in the Lord um, that I think is unprofitable 
uh, unhelpful, and it's when you think that you are going to somehow in your own knowledge, intellect, wisdom, that you are going to go and, and cause yourself to grow. You're just going to gut up and learn some things and discipline yourself to live by those things and that somehow you're gonna become more like Jesus in your own strength. And I think that is unprofitable. I appreciate the zeal and the desire of it, but if there's not attached to that zeal and, and a desire and acknowledgement of your own weakness and dependence on the Spirit of God to accomplish spiritual work in your heart, then you'll find yourself just trying to grow up in God with a very natural kind of power, which is impossible. So this morning, my goal is to present to you what Jesus says about the value of pursuing the kingdom of God, possessing the kingdom of God above all other things, even to the point that Jesus says, lose everything and just have the kingdom and it's worth it. That this should be our heart and our joy, but, but more than just presenting the truth that he said it to invite you to agree with him and to hopefully invite you into a process that is filled with dependence on the spirit to lead you into this truth, not just here's the truth, now go for it. Because we don't wanna err on this side of, okay, I see the truth, now I'm gonna try with all of my strength to be this kind of person, to be this person who sells all that he has to go and buy this valuable thing. It takes a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. So that, that leads us to this point where if I can just back up from it a little bit and, and broaden the picture, what, what we have presented to us this morning is Jesus describing a Christian. A Christian. Okay, again, remember that, that I just feel like things have just become so, so simplified to the point of greater clarity. And it may just sound like dumb or elementary to you right now, but I wanna ask you to just become dumb with me and elementary with me. Jesus is describing a Christian. Every Christian who ever was, every Christian who is, if you're a person who believes in Jesus, then he's describing you here. This is what God intends to be the experience of every person who is in Christ. That you come to some realizations. You come to some realizations when the Spirit of God descends upon you, fills you, grants to you this gift of salvation, faith in Christ, opens your eyes to see, opens your ears to hear so that now you're looking at Christ and rather than unbelief and resistance, you're, you're seeing him as altogether more valuable than anything else you could possess. That if I was to lose everything and only have Christ, it would be worth it. This is what God intends, this truth to come crashing down into every person's heart that he is placing in Christ. So I want to just, in a, maybe in a very kind of concrete, heavy, 
immalleable kind of way, just this thing you can't fiddle with, it just does a block that just falls on the room. Do you consider that Christ is more valuable than everything else you could possibly possess? Is he of more transcendent and satisfying value than anything else you could compile in this life? Is he your all in all? To know him, to love him, to be filled with his spirit so that you would live for his glory. Is this of more satisfying value to you than anything you could gain in this world? Just let that rest on you for a moment. Because it is God's intention from the mouth of Christ himself that this would be the experience of every person who comes in contact with the kingdom of heaven. It's like you're just meandering through life, through a field, and suddenly here's this thing that God presents to you, and what's your response? The response of a person who is being worked on, being brought into life by the Holy Spirit, sees that, and they go, oh my gosh, I have to have it. And they go and they decide of their own will. Their own choice, inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, is to abandon their previous life and to go back and just have this. Just have this. So do you have this feeling, this belief? Have you ascribed to the kingdom of God, to Christ, more value, more satisfaction than anything else you could have. I'm not trying to point to some moment of conversion. Do, do you know right now that God is worth more than everything? In order to agree with Jesus about these things, the Holy Spirit must lead us into this truth. So I feel like we have to stop again for just a moment. Remember, I'm that old man who doesn't care what you think anymore. I'm willing to disrupt the tradition. So please, let's pray again before we continue. Holy Spirit, please rescue us. Rescue us. from believing that Jesus is wrong here. From seeing some, some exception, some window that we could escape through. Or somehow a pursuit of riches, a pursuit of satisfaction in, a pursuit of hope in, faith in, anything but you is of any value, please rescue us. Please cause us all, each one of us this morning to know that you are of more value than everything. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue. Now, 
when we present Jesus, his kingdom, life with God, life to the glory of God as being of more value than everything else, categorically, without exception, of more value than everything else. Again, we've said that this demands a certain set of beliefs. There's certain things you have to believe. You have to believe it's more valuable. You have to believe it's more satisfying. You have to believe it's worth it, like actually worth it to the point that if God was to give you the choice, you can have this or that, you would genuinely believe you should choose having the kingdom if it meant losing everything else, all right? Now, that's just a set of beliefs that just logically follow. So I, I want to invite you to imagine with me uh, maybe in a more clunky, kind of gutty way than maybe you're used to doing as you sit through sermons. It's just a lot of take in, take in, take in, and then just, I don't know, if you just spend this time trying to process or if you're a note taker and you come back, I don't know what your deal is when you sit through a sermon and then go away. But maybe in this way that just feels maybe not real efficient this morning. We're just kind of all just some people in a room together and we've just been kind of slapped with a truth that we feel is very contradictory in a lot of ways to the way we live, the way we think, the way we arrange our time, our, our plans, our money. I want to invite you in way, maybe a way that kind of scares you or maybe even feels a little off-putting to you, like I didn't show up for this. Imagine with me if you were to arrange your life around the truth of these two verses of scripture, what would change? What would change about the way you spend your time? What would change about the way I spend my money? What would change about the percentage of time that I spend thinking about God and his kingdom and everything else. What about my passions? How much of my passion is directed at the glory of God and how much of my passion is directed at just trying to make a living? Trying not to mess up. Trying to be happy. Trying to avoid tragedy. Inventory. Inventory, it's the, it's the hardest thing for a human being to do, to take inventory of our hearts, but I'm just, I love you. So I'm inviting you with me to kind of take an inventory here and imagine these two verses being the theme of how you now order your life. If you imagine that at some point in your life, if you're a Christian person, you believe in Jesus, at some point, there was a time when suddenly God presented to you, whether you were kind of in search of or God just kind of, you know, whatever that was like, it was all God, by the way. You thought you were finding something, it turns out God was like, yeah, there it is. Well, whether you're the person who stumbled upon or you were the person in search of, there, there was some 
point in your life, if you're a Christian person, that God presented to you the kingdom, presented to you Christ, the gospel, what he has done to reconcile you to himself through the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And in that moment, you realized that to have him is of more value than to have everything else. But is that the theme? Was that a moment or is that the theme? It is God's will that that would be the continuous theme of the life of his children. Not a moment, not a kickstart, not just an on-ramp. Okay, you, you, you're on, the gospel is your on-ramp and now here you are and it's kind of back to the basics. Go to your job, raise your kids, try not to make people upset at you, try to have enough money, go to church. But no, it's not just an on-ramp, it is the highway. The gospel is the highway we live on. It determines our direction, it determines our trajectory, everything about life is meant to be the gospel, to be satisfied in Christ. So is the kingdom and the pursuit of it and the possession of it and the enjoyment of it the theme? Or was it just a moment? So that means if we're just being really genuine, what is the rest of this day going to be like? I know, this isn't like, this, this isn't the kind of sermon that you sit through and you're like, whoo, dude brought it. Man, just felt good to just, you know, hear that or be challenged by that or like, I hate you, dude, but give it to me, you know, like, I know this is, this, maybe this is super awkward for you if you just wanted to hear a 30-minute, you know, thing. I'm asking you to consider that this is God speaking and he's telling the truth. His kingdom is of more value than everything and what would it be like if you lived the rest of this day believing that and living according to that? If you were like that person who just out of joy and what had been presented to you, you just started offloading things that are distracting you, things that are keeping you from possessing this. I realize as long as I hang on to that, I'm not really possessing this wholeheartedly. I realize that I'm trying to kind of still have that while I try to grab this. And if you just go, okay, done with that, I just want the kingdom. I just want all of Christ. I want him to have all of me. I just want to love him and enjoy him and to be satisfied in him and in his glory. What if you lived the rest of this day with that kind of abandonment and pursuit, treasuring? What would that be like? I don't mean this just kind of hypothetically. You know, what if we all just... You know, God along. I don't, I'm not, I'm not presenting you just some kind of silly, hypothetical, 
you know, world peace thing. I'm saying, what if today, from this point forward, was lived in light of and in obedience to the truth of what Jesus just said? How would that change the rest of your day? How would that fill in the rest of your day? What about tomorrow? What kind of plans do you have for tomorrow? Things that you just kind of by default were going to do. What if you said, wait, how is that affected by this? What about the rest of this week, next weekend? What about July? How would July be different? July 2018, different because instead of just kind of living according to default and expectation and pattern, we said, wait, wait. I know that more than anything else, the, the worthiness, the value, the satisfaction is all caught up in the kingdom of God and possessing it and living as a citizen of it for the glory of Christ, being thankful, filled with gratitude for the gospel and what Christ has done to save me and reconcile me to God. So I'm going to live July in light of that rather than just, I need to make some money, I need to keep up with these people. How would July be different? What about the rest of this year? What about the rest of this year? What about a five-year plan? Any of y'all like Stephen Covey, you know, super organized people, and you have like a plan? What, there you go. James Hall, I know I could count on you. What about five years? What do you want to be doing? How do you want to be living five years from now? Have you thought about five years from now? Five years from now, what, what do you want your life, your own heart, your life, your family, your work, all these things, your spiritual experience, the community that you live, how, what do you want that to look like, be characterized by five years from now? Again, this is not hypothetical. I'm asking you to actually imagine five years from now. What if you were to make goals for the rest of this week, for July, for the rest of this year? What if you were to make goals for the next five years of your life? I mean, really, make goals for your life that agree with what Jesus just said, that agree with it. So that five years, you could say with a clear conscience, to just standing before God, you could say, I have spent five years in, in joyful, exuberant pursuit, passionate pursuit of the kingdom of God, of enjoying the kingdom of God more than any other thing. I have not trusted in any earthly possessions. I've not been greedily trying to store them up and put faith in them. I have not found hope in any other thing but Christ. In fact, I've arranged my life so that I will have to trust him. Five years from now, to be able to actually say that, how would your life look different? What kind of forks could you see yourself being presented with in the future where you're going to have to either trust in your possessions to build them up and find hope or comfort or security in them or to just enjoy that you belong to Christ and he's enough for you. 
And you're gonna make this decision to have to trust him. What are those forks in the road for you? What's your decision? What would it look like if you were to faithfully keep choosing Christ, enjoying him, glorifying him, magnifying him for five years? What would your life look like? What kind of decisions would you be making? Does it scare you? Does it scare you to imagine if you only made decisions that required faith in Christ so that he might be glorified? Does that freak you out a little bit? If you were this person who just said, I'm dumping everything else. I'm dumping all of it. I don't want it. I count it all as rubbish that I may know Christ and be found in him. If I only had Christ, he's enough. So I'm gonna live like he's all I have. I'm gonna just... Be very open-handed with, with everything else I have and just cling to Christ. Money, you can have money. I, the Lord has plenty of money, whatever I need. Jesus said he'll take care of me. If I don't have enough food to not be hungry in a day, then praise God, I'm learning through my yearning to trust in him more. Christ is enough for me. You can have the money. Clothes, I mean, how many, how, much, how many clothes do I need? Jesus said, don't worry about clothes, what you wear. So I know I don't have to worry about that. What kind of house am I gonna live in? Who cares? It's a roof, right? It's a roof. It just keeps you and your food cold. What if we lived our lives not concerned about hanging on to or even accruing and building up, compiling other things to trust in and just found all satisfaction in Christ? How would that change the pattern, the course of your life, the next five years of your life? The reason why I am um, telling you what Jesus said here is first of all because Jesus said it. So he wanted you to know it, to think about it, to be challenged by it, to be encouraged by it, spurred on to, uh, to be connected to the reality of his worthiness and his enjoyment and his grace. But just between, you know, me to you, my hopeful ministry to you, I say that because Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm gonna repeat it because I, I know me, I know us. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Walking in, in Jew is a Jewish idiom always for living, how you live, the pattern of your life. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Because there's a lot of opportunity 
for evil. There's so much opportunity to abandon trust in Christ and instead trust in the things of the world. So much opportunity. So much opportunity to abandon a pursuit of the glory of God and seek instead just to glorify yourself. A lot of opportunity to abandon satisfaction in God alone and just try to fill your day with things to be happy enough with. The days are evil. Make the best use of the time. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is that you, his people, would be ultimately satisfied in him because he is the only thing that is ultimately satisfying. To seek to find satisfaction in any of those things you can compile in this world is foolish and is a misunderstanding of what the will of the Lord is. So instead, let's make the best use of the time. The best use of our time, the rest of the day, tomorrow, this week, July, the rest of this year, the the next five years of our lives, until they bury us or Christ splits the sky and returns for us, the best use of every single moment is to enjoy God and glorify him. That's the best use of every second, every second. This is wise, this is the will of the Lord. Make the best use of the time by enjoying God, by zealously pursuing and possessing his kingdom to the abandonment of all other things. Abandoning all other hopes, all other faiths, all other enjoyments, and just enjoy God in Christ. Knowing what he's done to save you and keep you and grow you, fill you with his own spirit and seal you with his spirit for the day of Jesus Christ so that you would have eternal life with him. What is this life about? It's about glorifying God until that moment. Let's make the best use of the time. Jesus has described here someone who who has come to the realization of what true value and satisfaction is. It is the kingdom of heaven. It is Christ. Every moment that is not about Jesus is a lost moment. Am I exaggerating? Am I going overboard? Am I I being too simplistic here? Well, we have to live our lives, Patrick. Paul says, everything not done from faith is sin. Everything that is not to the glory of God is done to the glory of self. Every moment that is not about Christ is a lost moment, a wasted moment. That should bring profound conviction to our hearts because I know myself, if I can stand before you and just be me and, and trust that you're not gonna you know, kick me out, if I can just be myself, let me confess that I waste an enormous amount of time 
I know it. I'm convicted about it. I don't mean because I'm not busy. I don't mean because I just, all I ever do is watch Netflix, okay? I mean because of all the moments that are not for Christ. All of the thoughts that are not for Christ. All of the effort that is not for Christ. All of the passion that I have for things that are not Christ. Wasted, lost, a tragedy. I want to be perpetually in this moment that these people are in, that I've, I've got this fresh realization as if I, I'm looking at it right now. I'm walking through life and there's the treasure. I'm wading through water and there's the pearl. Like right now, I'm looking. I gotta lose everything to have this. That's how I wanna feel all the time because that is wise. Because that is truth because that's the best use of the time. Not just because I wanna be elite as a Christian, because I wanna be admired, because I wanna be a professional Christian, and to be a professional Christian where people pay you to glorify God, well, you gotta be in this moment. No, because I know in my own soul, I will find ultimate satisfaction only here, only here. And so, again, I'm inviting you to examine, to take inventory, to, to plead with the Spirit to lead you into this truth so that it wouldn't just be something that's just on paper. Christ is all satisfying. The kingdom of heaven is worth more than everything I own. No, but it would be an abiding truth, an abiding, transforming, life-changing plan altering truth so that I'm living my life differently because I know this. Know it, not think it, not imagine it, not hypothesize about it. I know Christ is more worthy than any other pursuit. And so this is how I live my life. And I'll fail, I'll stumble, I'll forget, but by God's grace, keep being renewed every morning in my knowledge of the truth and the satisfaction of Christ alone. This comes to my mind as I, just to kind of come back to where we started. When I imagine just the, what feels like a very short time left with you to engage with you in this way, to be here for you in this way, the reason this comes to my mind when I sit down with my, my, with my Bible and I'm asking God, what would you have me say? What do you want to say to the people you are going to gather together this week? The reason why I think this comes to my mind is because God is most passionate in terms of you and your life, most passionate about your satisfaction in him alone. I think that's God's most eager desire for us that we would find our satisfaction in him alone, that we would be like 
a man who found a treasure in a field and in his joy goes and sells all that he has so that he might buy that field. That we would be like a merchant in search of fine pearls who in finding one of great value goes and sells all that he have, has so that he might buy it. This is God's desire for us that we might live this way. His desire for us, you, Not that the kingdom of heaven would be uh, something that you check in on. That the kingdom of heaven would be something that's just important to you. That just matters. Enough that you'll give time to it every week. You'll even write checks to it every week. No, that's not God's greatest desire. It's that you would be ultimately satisfied in him to the abandonment of everything else in this world so that you might only possess him. That's his desire for you. It's my desire for you. It's my desire for me, for my wife, for my children. It's my desire for people in Thailand who've never heard the name of Jesus. My desire for people down the street right here who have heard of Jesus but have this kind of comical idea with him that he's just the man upstairs and and he just wants you to trust him so he can give you nice things. But you found that you can actually get some nice things without him, so I don't need Jesus. Yeah, I've heard of him, I don't need him. God's desire, my desire, I hope your desire by the Spirit's power and work in you is to adopt this driving passion and satisfaction. God alone. God alone. Let's go to God together. God, we we need you. We need you to work in us. We need you, Holy Spirit, to lead us into these truths and to keep us in these truths, to make us wise, to strengthen us, transform us, renew our minds so that we would make the best use of the time, so that we would not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, realizing that you're worth more than everything. Help us please, Lord, so that in that wisdom, in that love for you, in that satisfaction for you, we would truly rearrange our lives around what Jesus has just said to us, truly. Not just give some scraps off of our table. We would flip our table over and ask Jesus to be everything for us. Lord, for those in this room who are really adept at coming to church and hearing you speak and dodging and resisting and blocking 
Lord, I, I ask you, even now as I ask you for it, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would break that resistance, would, would break through that hardness of heart and teach them to be satisfied in you. Lord, please present yourself as more satisfying than any other thing. Would you please put a distaste in their mouths for what this world has to offer? and give or renew a taste for you. We know that to even pursue this, to possess the kingdom, to pursue it, to want it, is all a result of the finished work of Christ. That if we trust only in him and what he's done for us, that we can be saved from the penalty of our sins, that we can be in Christ, covered by his righteousness, reconciled to you, given your spirit, so that all this might begin, so that we might find this kingdom and abandon everything to have it. So please do what only you can do, Lord. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.